Her name was Julia. She was an exchange student from Germany, and while she was here, she was attending Cornerstone Christian School. And so she'd come out with the youth group to a uh, youth night we were ho- ho- having out at Kettleston Camp on last, last Mountain Lake. We're having some fun on the beach. We're going boating. And then as the evening progressed, we all came back to Pastor Alan Buchanan's cabin. And I, I handed out to all the kids, I had a piece of paper with one of the Psalms, a song uh, from the Bible, uh, on it. And then I sent them out into the bush and said, go off on your own, get alone, and read it several times, and then come back and we'll talk. And so they went out and they went and came back. And when they came back, I could see on Julia's face that something had changed. Her face was just transformed. She was so excited. And, I, and so I said to kids, well, let's share. You know, what, what stood out to you as you read this psalm? And um, she could hardly wait to share. And what she said was, I heard God for the first time. I heard God for the first time. And she was so excited. See, when Julia came to school, and she was an exchange student, but she wasn't a Christian, but she began to hear people at the school, whether the teachers or other students, sharing about having a personal relationship with God. And they would say things like, you know, how God had guided or directed them. And it seemed like this relationship with God that other people were talking about was very personal and actually interactive in some way. And she was very curious about that. And then for her, uh, now she had finally experienced what other people had, ta- had, had been talking about. And she, she came to know Christ and give her life to Christ. I've got good news for you today. Good news. God still speaks to people today. He still speaks to people today. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be, this is the Hearing God series. Uh, I taught this about four years ago in 2019. Uh, do you remember 2019 before? Some stuff happened in between. I can't remember what it was. Anyhow, but over the next five weeks, we want to look at what Scripture has to say about hearing God. We want to share, I'll, I'll share plenty of stories, and others will share stories that illustrate what it could look like to hear God's voice. And every, uh, after the service, we're offering um, uh, soup and bun lunch each week, where Laura Blackman will take the lead, I'll, I'll assist her, and we'll lead some guided exercises to help put hearing God into practice. So we're not just going to preach it. We want to practice what we preach. Jesus taught that hearing his teachings and putting it into practice was what it, what was building, that was building your house on the solid rock. Not just hearing, but hearing and putting into practice. So we wanted to give you an opportunity to practice hearing God. So we've got um, five weeks of that planned for you guys. So you're all welcome to stay. We've got 60 people already signed up for it. I think a lot of that, yeah, we've got about 60 people signed up. And anyone's welcome to come to it, even if you just came this week and you thought, oh, I didn't sign up. Just come. Just come if you want to come and check it out. We'd love to have you after the service for that. And the best part for young parents is, young parents, I just want to say those three little words that you, you really need to hear, that you're longing to hear on deep down inside. Child care is provided. Don't you feel loved? All right. So our goal is that we would, as a church, become more attentive to the voice of God and more responsive to his leadership and love in our lives over the course of these weeks and as we go forward. You see, what Julia experienced was the amazing effect of the scriptures and the Spirit of God working together. And the Bible and the Holy Spirit, they're an amazing tag team. They are meant to go together. In fact, you can't understand the Scriptures without the help of the Holy Spirit. God, through the teachings of Jesus, we learn that God reveals things and conceals things at the same time. In fact, in an audience of people hearing Jesus teach, some people would go away understanding and some people would go away not getting it. Luke ten twenty one says, at that time, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. So it's funny. People could uh, be around Jesus, hear him teach, and they wouldn't necessarily go away understanding it. And then others, it would be revealed to them what he was saying. Luke 8.10 says this, 
the, the knowledge and the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. Again, this is Jesus talking. So that those seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. So Jesus would speak in parables, which would reveal things, but it would also conceal things. Because kingdom secrets, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, cannot be understood just by human intelligence or education alone. They're ultimately revealed by God. A good example would be the Christmas story. How did everybody get to the manger? I mean, if you have a manger scene, there's a lot of characters there, some of them who may not have been there at the same time. But how did they all get there? Well, everyone who got there pretty much needed to hear from God to get there. I mean, Mary had an angel visit her. Joseph had an angel visit him. Uh, the shepherds had angels speak to them. The wise men had a star that led them. All this, all this God stuff, all this supernatural God stuff to get them to the manger. You know who didn't make it to the manger but had the opportunity to be there? The Bible scholars of the day. The Magi showed up in Jerusalem talking to King Herod and said, hey, give us some more help. We've been following the star. We want to know where this... Uh, this king is to be born. And uh, so, the, so the king got the Bible scholars, and they came forward, and they said, oh, yeah, we've, we, we've studied the Bible. It's pretty evident it's going to be in Bethlehem. So then the Magi went to Bethlehem, and it was true. What did the Bible scholars do? They didn't make it to the manger. They didn't go to Bethlehem. I mean, could you get any better opportunity? Yeah, it's going to be in Bethlehem. You're following a star? Yeah, it seems like it's all It's like... How did they not get there? How did they miss the point of the, they studied the Bible their whole lives and they missed the point of it all? They missed the moment. Can you imagine that someone might spend their whole life studying the Bible and miss the point of it? Evidently, this happens more often than we'd like to think it does. 30 years later, Jesus ran into the same dynamic again with people who studied the Bible, the Pharisees of the day. And Jesus said this about them, John 5, 39. You study the scriptures diligently, which is good, by the way. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. You know, they're not far off on this. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So they studied the scripture diligently. Nobody knew what was in them as far as the content of the scriptures more than anyone Yet they needed the Holy Spirit to reveal that Jesus was the one. So whether through their hard-heartedness, whether through their hypocrisy, all, they had all sorts of issues in those days, their spiritual pride. There's a huge disconnect. They studied the Scriptures yet and were nose-to-nose -nose with Jesus and yet didn't come to him. They missed the point. On the other hand, you've got common folks like Fisherman Peter, having revelations. Matthew 16, 16, it's, Jesus is asked, who do men say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus tells us something. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. It was revealed to him. Even Jesus' disciples needed the Holy Spirit to understand the Scriptures. A pretty famous one is, is the Jesus is um, walking after his resurrection. He's walking with two of his own followers who don't recognize him on the Emmaus Road. And he, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. There was a work, a supernatural work that needed to happen so they could understand the Scriptures. So if even the scholars and Jesus' disciples couldn't understand everything without the revealing and illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit, we probably need it too. In fact, we do need it too. And there's, I want to just add a little bonus, a, actually a massive bonus, when it comes to this tag team between the Scriptures and the Spirit. John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You ever have a scripture come to your mind in a situation? 
Maybe you haven't even thought about it for a while. Maybe you read it recently, and maybe you read it a long time ago. But suddenly in a moment, it comes back to your mind. This is promised. Jesus promises this dynamic will happen in our lives as his followers, that we will have something that we've read or that we've heard, and maybe a phrase of it or something like that will come back to us in a moment when we need it. Maybe it's to encourage you. Maybe it's to encourage someone else. Maybe it's to uh, correct you or to guide you or to, to teach you. But this is the tag team bonus that comes with the Scripture and the Spirit, is that the Spirit is one of its job, the Holy Spirit's roles in our lives is to bring back to the mind the Scripture that we've read. For some, you ever, anyone like me, you struggle a little bit with your memory now and again? <laughs> okay, you just forget stuff? Isn't that incredible? Here's a memory aid that's supernatural. He'll bring back to our minds things that we've read. So this really is an encouragement to read the Scriptures because he's going to bring back what you've already read or heard, so you should read it. Get more fuel to be brought back to your mind, right? And so that the things that you've read and that you've, you've, you've paid attention to, that he can bring it back as well. Now, Scripture teaches that there's revelation. Now, this might, you might don't stone me yet when I say this. Scripture teaches that there's there is revelation besides the Bible. Now, let me be clear right up front because I don't want us to get off onto a tangent on this. We're not still writing the Bible. I'm not talking about there's, you know, God's going to speak something to you and then we're going to have to, you know, take our Bibles and send them back to the printer and say, add this in. Like it's not something on the level of the Bible. Um, but there is revelation that the Spirit gives. There is revelation that the Spirit gives. The end of the book of 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14, talks about uh, the role of that in the church. I'm not going to dive really deeply into it right now. But it talks about, you know, we're mo- I think the one we're most familiar with is chapter 13 in the middle because it gets read at a lot of weddings, right? If, you know, if I uh, give all I have to the poor, if I, if I can prophesy, if I can speak in tongues, and do all these things, but I don't have love, it ends up adding up to nothing, right? But in there, it, ta- it talks about that there is a time where tongues and prophecy and knowledge and all these different things that are talked about in 12, 13, and 14 will cease. And it gives us a clue on when, when it will cease. It says when perfection comes, and then it goes on to say when we see face to face. Well, when are we going to see Jesus face to face? When are we going to see face to face? When he comes or when we go to be with him. So until then, there's a role for hearing God in the church. And if you read, I, I read it again last night, just read through, especially chapter 14. If you read through 12, 13, and 14 all together, it's like, you know, follow the way of love. And then it's just like, this is to edify the church. This is to build up the church. This is, to, don't, this is meant to edify. Do the things that will edify. Do the things that will build up. It just says it again and again and again and again and again and again. This is for the church to build each other up. That's the purpose behind it. So, I mean, you can hear from God, and, and it can build you up, but also I really believe that God wants to, for us to hear from God so that we have something to build others up, to build up the church. And that's, that's a huge dynamic for hearing from God. So, we don't put it on the same level as the Bible because the react. The reality is the Bible is trustworthy in all that it says. We can go to the Bible and say, yeah, I can take that to the bank. But if you come to me and you say, hey, man, I think I heard from God, well, then what we're going to do is we're going to test that. Like we're going to try to discern. If I, say some, if I come to you and I say, man, I, I, I think I heard from God, you know, jump into the game, you know, engage with me. Maybe I need confirmation. Maybe I need your wisdom or your discernment to see, you know, to see if that really is God speaking in my life. I believe God speaks. I believe God wants to speak to us more than we want to listen to him. He wants to lead and guide us more than we want to be led and guided. In fact, I think it's our inattention to God, our lack of inquiring of the Lord, and our just, let's just get it done sometimes that stops us from hearing the voice of God. But at the same time, when, when, I feel, when I feel or you feel that God might be saying something, we need to test that. 
right? We don't, we're not looking at the Scriptures in that light, but we are looking at when we feel that we've heard from God. But there is a revelation that the Spirit gives us besides the Bible. And it's here to, God, it's here to be heard and utilized and, and responded to until we see him face-to-face. When we see him face-to-face, we won't need that anymore, right? So the Bible becomes a filter for words that people get from God. If you feel like you've heard something from God, go to the Bible. Does it match up with the Bible? If it doesn't match up with the Bible, it's not from God. So here's, here's a couple things. So if you're seeking guidance from God, a good starting place is the Bible. I mean, go to the Bible. It's so helpful nowadays. It's, everybody can get, like, version on their phone, or they can get Bible Gateway on their laptop or something, and you can just search the Scriptures. You can search for keywords. You can, I mean, uh, it's really helpful. It used to, it used to have to own a whole library of books to do these kind of things, but you can just do it like that. So you say, well, I wonder what God thinks about this. Well, go to the, I encourage you, go to the Bible. Try to get a, a little bit of understanding of the backdrop of what the Scriptures say. And then... Come to the Lord in prayer as well. But the Bible becomes a filter for us. The Bible becomes a filter for us. So if you, if you hear something and it contradicts what's in the Word of God, it's not from God. Now, I want to guard against a couple extremes. And, and I've been saying that the Scriptures and the Spirit are a great tag team. And um, I, I don't want you to live your life with only one member of the tag team. I mean, the scriptures are amazing, but we just, I've been making the case that you need the Holy Spirit to help you understand what God is saying in the scriptures. So, let me just put it into different language here. The scripture is incredible because in the scripture we encounter biblical principles. We encounter the teaching of Jesus and his followers and and the historical account of how God has just uh, gone all out to restore humanity to himself in relationship. It's amazing. And in there you find biblical principles. And they are essential. And then the, on the other side you have what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life and that is prompt you to work and guide you and lead you. So spirit promptings and, and scriptural principles. They're both needed. And I'll tell you, let me just explain that. First, let's start with scriptural principles. Principles are um, like policies. They simplify your life. You know what policy is. It's like every time you encounter this scenario, do this thing. Like you might have, at your work, you might have policies. Now, policy is sort of a stinky word for some of us because we've encountered some really bad policies. (laughs) So, but when policies are good, they're really good, right? Because it means you don't have to make that decision a thousand times. You make it once and you always do that. For example, I read in the Bible, multitude places, that as a follower of Jesus, I am always to forgive anyone who offends me. That's the teaching of Jesus. That's the teaching of his, his followers. It's the teaching throughout the Bible. I'm supposed to forgive them as Jesus has forgiven me. I mean, that's the teaching of the Lord's Prayer. It's there, 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 there. It's solid. So I've come to take that principle, always forgive whoever offends you, and I've adopted as my policy for my life. So my endeavor is to, for the rest of my life, always forgive everyone who offends me. Now, I can get as mad at people as you can, maybe more than some of you. I can hold a grudge like a champ. But I've seen enough of what bitterness does to people and what it does in my own heart. And I've tasted the freedom that forgiveness brings. And just straight up, I know as... Jesus follower, this is what he commands me to do. It's not an option. So I've made forgiving everyone who offends me my policy for the rest of my life. You know what? That simplifies my life. Because now I don't have to sit there and go, God, is it your will that I forgive this person? Lord, if you'd only speak to me, give me direction. No. I have a biblical principle that I can take to the bank. It's absolutely clear in Scripture. And so... I'm not ever deciding, will I forgive this person? Or does God want me to forgive this person? My question is, help me, Lord. Help me to forgive. Help me to, you know, it's, it's just, I can start the process without having to deliberate over what I'm supposed to do. 
And there's so many other principles in Scripture. Scripture speaks to so many different areas. And uh, so look to Scripture first, find those principles, and you'll have stuff that will simplify your life. And, they'll, and there'll be guardrails in your life. They'll keep, you, um, they'll keep you out of the weeds, really. So scriptural principles are, in, are incredible. They're so helpful to our lives. And, um, and they're entirely reliable. So, again, scriptural principles. But principles by themselves do not make all our decisions clear. They don't. If you knew every scriptural principle in the Bible... If you had the Bible memorized back to front and you had studied it all your life, you still would run into decisions that the Bible doesn't give you a clear answer for. Because it's not meant to be an answer book that answers every scenario that could possibly come up in the world. That would be a book bigger than this room. And that's why spirit promptings are also essential. So let me give you an example. Acts 13, 1-2. The church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you got Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, Saul, five of them. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, what if they, this is a prompting, a, a guidance of the Holy Spirit in their lives, a word from God. I wish there was more about it to say, well, how did these five guys hear together? And how did they, wow, it's amazing. And this is a very historic moment in the history of the church, the global church, actually. Now, if they, let's just say, okay, we're not going to hear from God. We're just going to use biblical principles. Well, they would have probably, from reading the Old Testament, they could have, from reading the Old Testament and from, reading the, and from understanding the teachings of Jesus, that Jesus was calling them to go to the Gentiles and to, to bring the gospel to the rest of the world. But it didn't seem like everybody really got that, even though they got, had that teaching. And, um, but how would they, by biblical principles, have figured out it was Barnabas and Saul that was supposed to go? I mean, if they're just doing biblical principles and said, well, you know, some of us should go. You know, maybe Simeon and Menaean. Or maybe Lucius and Barnabas. Or maybe, like, but the Holy Spirit, in his or in, the, in God's strategy and his planning for the world, it was specifically Barnabas and Saul that were going to be the ones to go. And there's no way to get that just from biblical principles that it was those two guys. They had to hear from God. They had to have a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. Acts uh, 16, 6 to 10. Um, Paul and his companions are, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas, and during the night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, I mean, the last illustration was who's supposed to go. This is where are they supposed to go? Where are you supposed to go? Well, they tried to enter Bithynia and, and enter into more the Asian, you know, I guess on a map, go to Asia. And the, and the Spirit of Jesus prevented them. Somehow they understood. They heard from God. They weren't supposed to go there. But then he had this dream, a man from Macedonia begging him, come to Macedonia. And they woke up and they said, I think this was from God. And they, they said, that's where we're going. Couldn't have got that just from biblical principles. God intended for them to go to Europe. And so they went to Europe. Now, it's not that God doesn't love Asia because later he sent Thomas to Asia, specifically to India to Kerala, to the Malayalis. Where are the Vergases? Are you here? Anyhow, so that, so he sent Paul to go get those, everybody in Europe, thankfully as an Anglo-Saxon, I'm thank, thankful for that, and sent Thomas the other way to go to Asia. God had a plan, specific directions, specific guidance on what was supposed to happen. And they couldn't have got it just from biblical principles. So why do we need to hear God's voice? One of the main reasons is this is, is very relational. 
First relationship is, is God is our Lord and he's our king. And if God is going to function as our Lord and king, like he's functionally going to be Lord of our lives, then we've got to be able to hear what he wants us to do. We've got to be able to sense his guiding and direction. So the kingdom of God is advancing. Jesus, is, is, he leads people like a king does. And, and, but there's a wrinkle in the advancement of his kingdom is that there's an opposition. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we're in a battle. The good thing is we, we have the best battle leader we could ever have in Jesus. And he wants to communicate with us strategies, directions, and guidance to win the battle. If you, I don't, I don't know, how many of you have served in the military? Anyone? You've got a few who've served any time in the military? One of the main things that you, you need in the military is good communication. You need good communication in order to win the battle. Without it, uh, it's, it's almost impossible. And we need good communication with God to hear from him so we can win the battle that we are in. Now, you might say, well, I don't really need to hear from God. I've got some thoughts. I've got some ways. I think I've got this. <laughs> Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways. Your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So God knows all the details of the battle that we're in. He knows stuff that's coming. He knows stuff. Uh, he knows the strategy that will work. And uh, he's got thoughts and he's got ways that if you can have access to that, if you could hear that, if you could sense that, then you'd be more, much more likely to win the battle. So first thing, we want, we want to hear from God so God can be our Lord functionally. Not just in say, well, Jesus is my Lord, but we want him to guide and direct us like a king does. And then secondly, we want to hear from God, or we need to hear from God, so he can function as our Father. The Bible is very clear that we're, we're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're, call, you're called children of God. You are his children. And God wants to have a relationship with us as a good Father. And through the Spirit of God, he reveals that we are his children. He confirms we are his children. He affirms us as his children. Now, what does a father do? Well, I'm a father, and so I caught on to a few of these things. You know, I warn my kids of danger. I bring comfort when they have hurt themselves. Uh, I counsel my children. I, I try to be affirming and affectionate with my children. And I'm just a human father trying to do all these things and doing them very imperfectly and failing lots of times. But he's a, he's a heavenly, perfect father. He's, he's the best father. And... Um, he wants to do all these things in our lives, too. He wants to protect us from danger. He wants to bring comfort to us. He wants to counsel us. He wants to affirm and bring affection into, and be affectionate with us. Uh, Luke 3, 2, 2 is just this picture of sort of this father, son, you know, the work, you know, how does it all work? I'm not totally sure, but it says you got three in this scene. You see the whole, Jesus is being baptized. He comes out of the waters, and the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I remember the first wedding I was ever a, um, a groomsman at was my buddy Dave. He was the first guy who got married right out of high school, the guy got married. And um, I remember being there, and his dad got up to give a speech, you know, sort of a welcome to the family. But the first thing he just said, very emotionally, he just pointed to his son, and everybody was waiting for the, you know, the father of the groom to say what he was going to say. And he just said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was powerful. I remember being in the room and just thinking, we all want that. Oh, we all ache for that. Like just the blessing of those words over. And of course, he's using the words of that scripture. He's using that, the love that, that exists in the Godhead with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So you, inside, I, we all want that. And the great news is we can all have that. In fact, we have that in our relationship with God. John 17, 23, Jesus lets us in on this amazing reality. He says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, his followers. You have loved them even as you have loved 
me. He's praying this in front of his disciples. Can you imagine hearing that? God loves you as much as he loves me. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Wow. The affection of affirmation that we always wish we could have, maybe from our earthly parents, we can have that in our relationship with God. So we want to hear from God so he can direct us like a, a, our Lord and our King. We want him to, to be able to function as our Father and for us to receive what we can only receive from our Heavenly Father in those ways. So many times I've prayed for people and just prayed that God would speak into their lives the words of affirmation, the words of affection that they could only get from their Heavenly Father. There's things that he's, he wants to say to you that will lift you like nothing else. And here's the third one. So Jesus can be your life. <laughs> Jesus taught that we draw life from God like a branch draws a life from a vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, remain in relationship with me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. So you want to have a fruitful life? You want to have a nourished life? Do you want to be sustained, to have peace and courage? We want to hear from God. There's a story of Jesus comes, and he's thirsty. He's at a well in Samaria, and there's a Samaritan woman there. And, and um, he asks for her, her for a drink. And then she sort of points out the strangeness of this request because she says, well, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman, and that's two cultural barriers, woman and Samaritan, Jewish man, Samaritan woman. Like, you're crossing some big, Jesus is crossing some huge cultural barriers to have this conversation. And she points it out to him. She comes like, you are crossing cultural barriers, and, and um, basically, like, you are doing this. Like, this is strange. This is odd. This is weird. This is not normal. And Jesus' answer to her is, is amazing. He just says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. If you only knew. If you only knew what God could do in your life. If you only knew the life that he could bring to you. If you only knew that, you would cross the cultural barriers. You would tear down any barrier to get what God has for you. If you only knew what he could do in your life, there would be no mountain you wouldn't climb, no river you wouldn't cross, there's no nothing you wouldn't go through to get it. Because he's that good. He's that good. An intimate relationship with God is that good. If only you knew how good. God can be in your life. It's like he implants in your life a spring. It's interesting because a spring is a, is a source. I mean, you can have a glass of water or you can have a spring of water. He asked her for a glass of water. And then she, she, he, he tells her, but you know what? You could have a spring of water. You could have something bubbling up within you. You could have the, the life of God within you. And you never thirst. And this is a, th I mean, we're all thirsty. But this woman was thirsty. She'd been in relationship after relationship after relationship. After, had five husbands, wasn't with any of them anymore. The guy she's with now is not her husband. That's a lot of thirst. And Jesus says, I'm the answer to your thirst. I want to be your life. Jesus wants to be our life. This is eternal life, John 17, 13, that they know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. One of my favorite little stories about hearing God I think is, is so interesting is Paul, is Paul, this is one of his followers, is telling everybody about Jesus. 
And uh, he runs into an angry mob, and it says in the scriptures that they were going to, their intent was to rip him to pieces. But the Roman soldiers intervene just in time, and they put him in prison to protect him. And, but the next day, it gets worse. The next day, 40 men make a, a pact that none of them will eat or drink till Paul is dead. So, you know, you sometimes feel like everybody hates you. I think Paul, the mob wanted to rip me to pieces yesterday, and then the next day, 40 men have made a pact that they will not eat and drink again until he's dead. Hmm, talk about being unpopular. So he's in prison. He's in prison. And the prison's the only thing st- keeping him alive. Now, he could have gone back to the Scripture. He could have gone back to what Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus had some amazing words for his disciples. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I mean, that's an incredible promise. And that's one we all can lay claim to as his followers. But, but God was even more gracious to Paul than that. Acts 23, 11 says what happened. It said, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you almost also must testify in Rome. Take courage. You're not going to die. The mob and the 40 men, they're not going to kill you. You're, gonna, you, you're talking about me all over the place. You're going to keep talking about me. In fact, you're going to go all the way to Rome with this story about my resurrection and my, my kingdom. Isn't that incredible? I, this is the thing that keeps striking me about hearing, hearing the voice of God in our lives in whatever form it comes. How undeserved it is. I mean, it's, it's undeserved that we have the Word of God in, in print form that we can read or digital form if you're using that. Right? It's amazing that we have preserved for us the Bible. I mean, that's undeserved. And it's amazing that the Holy Spirit helps us understand the Bible, and that's undeserved. And it's amazing when a scripture that you read jumps off the page and, be, and, and just grips your heart, and that's undeserved. And then the God would speak to us in any other way beyond that to encourage us, to give us courage, to help us walk with him, to give us direction. That's undeserved. It's like he is this good. I remember talking to one of my mentors, uh, the first pastor I ever worked with, Lauren Temple. I went to visit him. This is years after uh, he had moved to Calgary to plant a church. And so I went to visit him, and I was sitting down with him. And he said, uh, What's going on in your life? And it's just been a string of really good things in my life. I said, this has happened, this has happened, this. And I said, I don't know what I've done to deserve this. And he looked at me, and it was like that mentoring look where you're like, oh, I said something wrong. (laughs) He's like, Steve, you don't deserve any of it. You know, do you remember the gospel? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, it's just that God is that good. He's so gracious. He's given us all way more than we deserve. Jesus, Jesus runs into, um, I talked about his en- engagement with the Pharisees, but I want to talk about another group. He runs into a group called the Sadducees. And the key thing about the Sadducees you need to know for this account is basically that they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in resurrection at all. So they come to Jesus with some story about, you know, a woman marries a guy, he dies, she marries his brother, because that was a common thing was that they had sort of these safeguards for so she wouldn't be a widow and have no one to sustain her. Often it would be up to a brother to marry. And anyhow, seven brothers. She ends up marrying them all. They all die. One, blah, 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 blah. And then they say, well, in the resurrection, who is she going to be married to? And this is just a gotcha question. It's not about they're really trying to just discredit the resurrection. So Jesus says some stuff about marriage. But then he gets to the real heart of the matter. And this is what he says to them. He says, you are an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given to marriage. They'll be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection, 
Like that's sort of the marriage part. He just pushed that to the side pretty quickly. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? So this is in the Old Testament. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the living. So the Sadducees had two problems. They didn't know what the Scripture said on this, or if they did, they'd forgotten it in bringing this question up. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still alive. And God is the God of the living, and resurrection is what God intends for his people. So that was the first thing. They didn't know the Scriptures. And then secondly, they didn't know the power of God. God was a supernatural God who could raise the dead. Resurrection was not something that he'd have to grunt at. This is well within what God's power could do. You know, when I went to Bible college, on the walls of the chapel in the Bible college, I went to Eston College. I've, I've gone to Eston College for three years, and I've, I've had about a year's worth of classes at Briarcrest. So those are the two colleges I've had the most experience with. But Eston College had a mo- uh, sort of the motto of the college in the chapel. It said, to know the scriptures and the power of God. Just basically take it from these verses. I, I went and checked their website recently, and uh, they've, uh, they've added one more phrase to it. To know the scriptures and the power of God to further the Great Commission. And I was just reading that and saying, what a great statement. It's almost like a great checkup statement that a church could use. Are we, do our people know the Scriptures? Are we teaching the Scriptures? Are people reading the Scriptures? Are we familiar? Are we gleaning the biblical principles out of that so that we can we make those our policies in our lives and, and live according to how God wanted us to live? And then, do we know the power of God? Are we believing in faith for God to do supernatural things? Are we expecting great things from God? Are we attempting great things for God? Do we know the power of God? And are we furthering the Great Commission? Jesus is on mission in the world, and are we, are we partnering with him? Are we furthering that? through these things. So I think it's a, a very modern problem. Well, not, not, I mean, the ancient problem and the modern problem, the problem of the Sadducees and the problem of the modern Christians, very similar. It's easy for Christians to, to become unfamiliar or not, or not really learn what the Bible teaches. And I think it could be easy for Christians to not look to God in faith to do the supernatural. And I would love to have a church I think we do in many ways, but I think I would love to have a church that's growing in these things, that we're, we're more and more anchored in the principles of Scripture and more and more sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit as we go forward. So I'm going to give the last word to former lead pastor Alan Buchanan. He's got a story about hearing God. And... Uh, and then I'll come back and I'll close. So, so let you, if that video comes up, then I'll. Uh, yes, yeah, so O.J. Lovick uh, started off in Regina, was ministering there, and felt the call of God to come to Moose Jaw. In fact, he was quite distinct. In his morning prayer time, he really felt God say, I don't know if it's audible, but say to him very definitely, you need to go to Moose Jaw. And his response was kind of classic. He said, not that wicked city. <laughs> that was his response to uh, the call to Musa, not that wicked city. Now, I think it was the Roaring Twenties at the time, and you know, it, there was a fair bit of wickedness happening everywhere, but Musa had some notoriety about wickedness. Anyway, so his response was, not that wicked city. He further went on to argue with God I'd need money, I'd need $300. And why he picked that number, I have no idea, but that's what he picked. Anyway, later in the day, as he was walking to the church to spend some time there, uh, where they were ministering in Regina, he was spoken to by a man from out of the city, actually, I think from Shonovan, I heard, uh, who stopped him on the street, introduced himself, said there was something about his sister had received ministry, I think even healing, at uh, one of his meetings. And he felt the Lord had directed him to come and give him $300 for, uh, as a gift. And right away that coincided with what he just argued with God, but he was still resistant. 
So he actually told this man, he said, well, I don't want to take it right now. Uh, if you're back, and he understood the man was from out of the city, so he made this quite difficult. He said, uh, if you're back in the city on the weekend, talk to me about it then. So, you know, not very often would you turn a gift down. <laughs> and what's the chances of getting it again if you did turn it down? Anyway, that's what he, that's what he did. Well, the weekend came. This man showed up again, offered him his $300, and sort of the arguments, you know, had to be broken down. And O.J. Lovick uh, came, I believe, the next Monday, or like right the next day, the Monday, came to Moose Jaw to look into getting, renting a place and being able to start uh, meetings. Uh, that all worked out. He got a theater downtown, and uh, that became the kind of the hallmark of the church for a while. It met in theaters, but that's, uh, that's where it began, and met in rented theaters, and uh, he wanted, he tried to take out an ad in the paper. He tried to get them to copy some articles that had been in the Regina paper about miracles. The editor was very resistant and said, no, I'm not going to publish anything happened there. I don't believe in miracles. But if one happens here in Moose Jaw, I'll put it in the paper. If there's a miracle here, I'll put it in. And, but he's quite resistant. Anyway, the date, I'm not sure when, how soon the first meeting uh, happened. But uh, O.J. Lovick was in town. And you know, towards a certain time in the evening, he decided time to go down to this rented facility and uh, got down there and realized there's a bunch of people on the sidewalk in front, like a lineup on the front to get into this theater. And he thought, oh no, somebody was supposed to open those doors. You know, how come they didn't get this place open earlier? And he got down there and discovered that the doors were open and the building was actually already full. And this was quite like, a, I don't know if it was an hour or more. I understood it was at least that. Prior to the meeting started, the building was already full and people waiting on the sidewalk. This is for the first uh, meeting. So it, so somehow God was stirring in people's hearts to, to come and, and uh, discover what, you know, what this is all about. And uh, in that very first night, from what I understand, uh, the uh, fire chief had kind of been tipped off by the Regina <laughs> fire chief that this guy is nothing but trouble. And uh, somewhere in the meeting, the fire chief interrupted the meeting and said, this can't continue. The building is over capacity. Uh, you know, we got to shut this down. Anyway, they were somehow able to convince him they could stay if they cleared the aisles, which again meant some people had to get out or crowd together more. And they were able to continue with the meeting. And somewhere in the meeting, miracles began to happen. I don't recall right today all of the miracles, but I think that first day or first few days, there were some miracles that involved deaf people being able to hear, blind people being able to see. Dramatic enough that these were known people in the community that when the editor of the paper, who had not been very receptive, heard about it, he agreed to print the stories. And so immediately there was reaction across the community as uh, God you know, showed up in pretty amazing ways. This was 1923. When, uh, when this was happening. So the Roaring Twenties were, were underway and God showed up to put on quite a performance that, that attracted a crowd. And so it kept on like that for, uh, for months. Now I'm not sure how long um, O.J. Lovett continued to come and be the main speaker, but it went on for a long time. They changed theaters. Sometimes the contract of rent ran out and they'd have to move to a different facility. Eventually it became you know, known that, hey, this is a viable congregation, we better structure it a little bit more. Uh, but they continue to meet in theaters, renting theaters, uh, downtown and various locations. Uh, I don't know the number of all the different places they, they function, but again, so the, the, the mark kind of of those meetings was, was uh, known as a place where miracles happen, where God shows up and does some amazing, amazing stuff. And uh, so that was the kind of the kickoff days, from what I understand, of the church. In hundred years ago, our church began as a result of hearing God. A life of prayer, a life of obedience, and then God said, Moose Jaw. We can't, I mean, when you hear about miracles, you hear about all those kind of things. I, I don't know that you can, I don't think you can just force those things to happen. 
But what you can do is you can be attentive to God. You can be receptive to what he says. You can share those things in community. Um, You can step out in faith as a response to what he's prompting us to do. And again, obedience is is the success on our end, and what God does with it is, is what God can do, only what God can do. So even though it took O.J. Lovick a little while to obey, he did. And I think that's what we want. We want to hear the voice of God, and we want to obey. And we'll trust him with the results. But this is our roots. This is our heritage. This is our history. And now it's 100 years. And I think in many ways, lots has changed, and in many ways, it's still the same. Same spiritual battle. Same opportunity to live a life of faith and trust in God, to be guided and directed by him, to submit ourselves in such a way that he can use each one of us. They can speak to each one of us. He can guide and direct not just a few, but an army. And so I just invite you to come on the journey. Come on the journey of saying, Lord, speak to me. Guide me and direct me. I lay down my agenda for yours. Let's stand together. Jesus, when you you spoke in the book of Revelation, you spoke over many churches, and you you said again and again, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And we want to have ears that hear, spiritual ears that are open, that are uh, that we're attentive to you, that we're inquiring of you, we're we're um, we're expecting direction and guidance from you. Lord, we, our tendency, I think, naturally is just to make our own agenda, make our own plans, and, but Lord, we want to make plans that will count for eternity, and so Lord, we want to be guided and directed. Yeah. Lord, you know the obstacles, you know the things that need to be overcome in each one of our lives. Would you speak to those things? Would you help us? Uh, in the area that we most need it. God, you, in your timing, I, I think you're the best leader, so you're gonna, you're gonna, you know what should come first. You know what the next step is. And we might r- want to run to steps down the road, but you will, you'll lead us to the things that are needful now. So, Lord, we just want to be open to you. We want to receive from you. But would you speak to us? And, Lord, let us overcome whatever it is that causes our spiritual ears to be blocked up or whatever causes us to be inattentive. We want you to functionally be the Lord of Hillcrest, functionally be the Lord of our lives, functionally be our Father, functionally be our life. Not just words, but in reality. So we bring that to you in, our, in humility today. We need your leadership. We need your fathering. We need you as the branch to flow your life and uh, you as the vine to flow your life into us as the branch. So we just submit that to you today in your name. Amen.